0: Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. For today's story, we're travelling back to America in 1886, when, on May the 8th, pharmacist Dr. John Stith Pemberton invents a carbonated beverage that will be named Coca-Cola. On June the 2nd, U.S. President Grover Cleveland marries Frances Folsom in the White House, becoming the only president to wed in the executive mansion. She is 27 years his junior. From July the 12th to mid-September, there was the Belfast riots, beginning with the Orange Institution parades and continuing sporadically throughout the summer. Clashes take place between Catholics and Protestants and also between Loyalists and Police. 13 people were killed in a weekend of serious writing with an official death toll of 31 people over the entire period. And Robert Louis Stevenson releases his novels Kidnapped, and the strange case of Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde. But we're interested in Albert George Bainton, a gardener aged 37 years old and originally from Bristol, who emigrated to Los Angeles, and at the time of the tragedy was residing with his wife Carrie and their four children, Oliver, Walter, Florence and Laura, at 623 Olive Street. The eldest child was only eight years old, and the youngest, just a baby in arms. It's worth noting that Albert has had previous. He was sentenced to fifteen months in Shepton Mallet jail for stealing from Dr. Fox in Brinsleyton, in England, on 15th of October, 1878. It was well known in the area that Bainton was a drunk and a mean drunk. He was violent and abusive to his wife, Carrie. Aged 32, whenever he was in that condition, and would regularly beat and threaten to kill her. Carrie was described as a good looking woman, about five foot six, with brown hair and light brown eyes. On September the 17th, 1886, Bainton returned home at six o'clock at night. He had been drinking, but he was not drunk. He immediately started to threaten and abuse his wife. Why? because he wasn't happy with the supper she had made him. This time, Carrie refused to back down to his bullying, so he kicked her to the ground like a dog. After a while, Carrie feared for the safety of herself and the children. She left the house with her children and went to J.B. Kipp's house at number 643 Olive Street. She begged Mrs. Kipp to look after her children while she went off to find policemen to arrest her husband. Mr. Kipp... A man of 62, in the meantime, was sat on his front porch smoking a pipe. Soon afterwards, Bainton was heard outside quarrelling with his wife, and Mr Kip went inside saying he didn't like to hear such goings-on in front of his house. Another neighbour, John Cassidy, said at the inquest that the last time he saw Carrie Bainton alive was between 7 and 7.30 on the night of her death. She was in front of Kip's house talking to her husband. She was at the gate, and Benham was stood outside the fence at the corner of our lot. Witnesses heard Carrie say, Now, Albert, you have kicked me twice tonight, and I don't want to have any more to do with you. To which Albert replied, I'll make you come home and do the work for me. I'm not going to let you be over at that house all the time. She replied, I'm not going to do it. I'm staying here. Word of the week And for this week's word, I give you Stingbum. Yes, you heard me correctly. According to Gillard, this is a seventeenth century English slang term meaning a stingy, mean person. Personally, when I saw that, I thought it was the back end of a bee, but what do I know? After the argument with Carrie, Bainton was heard to mumble something before storming off to his own house and returning to rip apart the Kip's fence. He then threatened the family dog before Mr Kip took the dog inside. Then Bainton went back to his house. John Custy, thinking it was all over, returned to reading the day's newspaper, but within a few minutes, he heard the first shot. Apparently, after that final argument with her husband, Carrie went back inside Kip's house to gather herself and prepare to flee once more. She was going to try to move her children to another neighbour's house, but after that violent argument with Albert, Carrie sat down for a few minutes to gather herself and cry. In the same room as her were Mr Kip, his 14-year-old daughter, Nettie, and some of her children. Mrs Kip was in the kitchen, which was linked to the front room. Suddenly, the door flew open, and without a word of warning, Bainton commenced shooting promiscuously into the room. Mrs Bainton received a bullet in the right breast, and she fell dead to the floor. Nettie Kipp, who was described as a beautiful girl, was the next victim. She was sitting on the bed in front of the door. Bainton shot her twice, hitting her in the abdomen. Mrs Elizabeth Kipp, being in the kitchen, was not hurt. John Cassidy had seen the flashes of the gunshots through the windows. I heard shots in rapid succession. I ran right across the street and rushed into Kip's house where I saw smoke. Kip was on the ground near the corner of his porch. His clothes of fire near his left side and Mr. Mayor was trying to extinguish the blaze. Bangton stood holding his pistol in his hand. I took the pistol from him and put it in my pocket. It was a forty-four caliber English made ball dog revolver. I said to Bengton, what is this? He said, I don't know it had to come, but somebody had to die. He then said, Oh, my poor wife and children. He talks incoherently all the time about his dear wife and that it had to come. The burden of his complaint was that Kip and his wife had enticed Mrs. Bain from her home, and he was particularly bitter against Kip. I took him out to the sidewalk, and Mr. Ingram and I took him to the police office. Mr. Kip was shot in the left hip and a fence post which had been torn from the fence was probably used by the murderer to beat the old gentleman who had serious wounds to the side of his face. He died eventually from concussion of the brain. Mr Mayer, another neighbour, rushed to the scene, and when he got to the front porch, he saw Baton rise up from over Mr Kip's prone body, saying, Kip, I didn't want to go this far. When the shooting started, several neighbours rushed up to apprehend the murderer, who was taken to the city jail He claimed that he hadn't any idea of having hurt anybody and pretended that it was an accident and he was trying to shoot the newfound dog and not the people he eventually killed or maimed. Once the neighbours that had rushed to the sound of gunfire apprehended Bainton, they found the pistol on him Six shells empty and recently fired. All possible assistance was rendered to Miss Kip who was perfectly conscious and her depositions were taken. She said when Bainton came to the door his eyes looked like coals of fire. He asked, Is my wife here? I want her to come home. Mrs Bainton had replied, I won't do it. You kicked me out twice and I'm not going home. If you come near me I will hit you with this rock. Don't come any nearer to me. Nettie continued by saying that Baton asked his wife where she had been. Carrie said she'd been trying to get a police officer. And he said, You'll not get the chance again. Put me in jail. And with that, he started firing the pistol. I went and tried to shield my father. He shot two bullets into me. He fired purposely at all of us. He intended on killing all of us. He pointed the pistol about the room in different directions. I do not think he was intoxicated at the time he called at the house and did the firing. After I was shot, I staggered into the bedroom and said to my mama, I am shot. I saw my papa go out of the door staggering as if someone had taken him by the arm and pulled him out of doors What young Nettie Kip saw as she was shot was Bainton dragging her father out of doors before clubbing him to death. Another of Kip's children, George, aged only nine, told how he was home when Mrs Bainton came with her children that Friday night. He reiterated what the others had said about the shouting between the married couple in the front garden, and then he went on to describe how his father was in the kitchen. Carrie was holding the baby, then Bainton kicked the front door in, shouting, I want my wife back. He was described by the boy as having shot the pistol five times as fast as he could. After he fired, Carrie said, Oh, and fell to the floor with the baby still in her arms. Mrs Kip rushed to her side, taking the baby to the kitchen for safety. George began to cry in the inquest at this point. When he continued his story, he described how his sister was sitting in a chair and had gone towards the door to protect their father. He said that Nettie was shot for her bravery and fell at his feet, saying, Oh, Mama, I am shot. It was also stated that another of Bainton's children was missing, and it was possible from certain threats that Bainton was heard to utter that he was also killed. As things turned out, though, the little six-year-old boy was found at the house of an English lady who was trying to protect him. Bainton used to be a Central Street Car Company driver and went by the nickname of Johnny Ball. News just in. Someone has stolen all the road signs in Yorkshire. Police are looking for leads. Book of the Week what I love about doing this show is finding out new things and I've been sent a book called The Hundred Years of Sisterhood, Bristol Fashion by Marion E. Reed. This is a fascinating story of the Bristol Soroptimists. Yeah, I'd never heard of them either. But it turns out that 2020 is the centenary of when a score of Bristol business and professional women met and formed the Venture Club for Women which was then a novel concept. They were helped by the Rotary Club of Bristol, whose own club had been founded only three years earlier. The focus then and now has been on women and girls. They then merged with the Soroptimists movement founded in America in 1930 and have supported underprivileged and vulnerable people locally and abroad and shaped campaigns from equality for women to modern slavery. The Soroptimists have been at the forefront of social change and worked in a low-key manner with good humour, friendship and fun. And this book goes through the whole story from the beginning right until present day. To say that they're still going strong is an understatement. GWR named one of its first 50 express train engines in honour of one of their long-time members and Bristol City archivist, Elizabeth Ralph. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Sue Gregson of Toledo, Ohio, who sent a lovely message in to me today, actually, saying how much she enjoyed the show. In her message, she says, I have always enjoyed history and have a keen interest in the history of England, and I like the way that your show brings out stories that I probably would never have heard of before. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. In court, Bainton refused to hire an attorney, saying that there was no use in wasting money, and pleaded guilty to the two counts of murder. His children were placed with the Sisters of Mercy. During the court hearings, Bainton was guarded throughout by a posse of sheriffs and constables. The audiences that came to the proceedings were always silent, but the tension was tangible. There was a genuine fear that many in the room would willingly take the law into their own hands. From his arrest to his execution, Bainton acted with remarkable coolness and presence of mind, and it was quite evident from the start that he knew exactly how his story would end. He was described as being bald with a heavy, dark moustache and beard that was short, about an inch long. His plea of guilty and repeated claims that hanging was too good for him were clear signs, and he was sentenced to death. For the last month in jail, he was visited daily, by Reverend Dr. Birdsall, his spiritual advisor, and repeatedly professed repentance. When he had to say goodbye to his children, they seemed to be aware that this was final and clung to him, refusing to be taken away by the Sisters of Charity, who had them in their care. Apparently, it was a heart wrenching sight to witness, and the cries of the children stayed with many for a long time afterwards. Deputies remained in the cell of Bainton from 9 pm. 9am the next day, on Death Watch. He wasn't going to be able to take the easy way out. After his last supper, he slept fitfully, showing signs of nervousness. He finally awoke at 6am and had a hearty breakfast before a last talk of the minister. It was the 17th of November. During the day, he couldn't eat anymore, and his legs seemed to weaken as the time approached, and at 1pm, Sheriff Guard entered Bainton's cell and read him the death warrant. The sheriff asked if he would be able to stand the terrible ordeal, and the reply was yes. Bainton declined the offer of alcohol, saying he required no stimulant, adding that if he had never seen liquor, he would not be where he was. Bainton then asked the sheriff if he would kneel down and pray with him, and the sheriff obliged. Bainton took his much-worn prayer book out from under the bedclothes and read in a quiet, solemn voice, Lord's Prayer. Sheriff God was very moved by the scene. For thine is the kingdom, power, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. And forever. Amen. At 2 pm, the procession was formed and began moving towards the gallows. Bainton, accompanied by the sheriff, led the way. He ascended the scaffold without any help, preserving his upright bearing, even when his journey ended on the trap. It was here that the Sheriff asked if he had any last words, and in a low but distant voice, he replied, I don't think I have any more to say except to thank the Sheriff, the Officers and the Judge for all their kindness towards me. You can all realise what brought me to this place. Once they'd reached their final destination, Deputy Sheriff Klein then pinioned the prisoner, and Bayton even helped by moving his arms out of the way and buttoning his own coat. Once this work was completed, Klein pulled the black cap over Bayton's head, and just as he did, the prisoner was heard to say, "Jesus Christ, have mercy on my soul!" Sheriff God then took him by the hand to bid him goodbye. All was quiet when God asked him if he was ready. As the faint answer yes came, the trap was sprung, and Baton's body shot swiftly downwards. His death was instantaneous, his neck being broken by the fall. Eleven minutes after the trap was sprung, he was pronounced dead by the physicians. His body was delivered to the undertakers, and he was buried the next day in Evergreen Cemetery, to rest side by side with his murdered wife in a plot he had already purchased. Mrs. Bainton's body was originally interred in the Potter's Field, but was disinterred to be placed by his side. As for the children, well, couldn't really find out anything about the boys, but Florence Alberta Bainton was adopted by Mr. and Mrs. Corkin on the 8th of March 1887, and the baby, Laura, was adopted by Mr. H. and Mrs. Annie Morrison. It's the Dad in Rock podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Join us every week as we give you the dad's point of view on pop culture. And stumbling our way through fatherhood. <laughs> Dad jokes. Star Wars. Streaming. Tech news. Movie news. Listen to lifelong pals tell stories from past and present. Cruise with us into the cheesy every week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other podcast platforms. And as always, find past episodes and links to our social media pages on dadnarock.com. in the Day Facts. Firstly, let's go all the way back to 1520, when on the 28th of November, Portuguese navigator Ferdinand Magellan reached the ocean, which he named the Pacific, using the Portuguese word for peaceful. On the 29th of November in 1975, English racing driver Graham Hill was killed when the plane he was piloting crashed near London. On the 2nd of December in 1859, the US abolitionist John Brown was hanged. He was born in 1800 and he married twice and fathered 20 children before becoming actively involved with the anti-slavery movement. In the mid-1850s, he took part in the violent conflict that was then raging in Kansas. And in 1858, he announced his intention to set up a mountain stronghold in Virginia as a refuge for runaway slaves. The following year, he led a raid on the arsenal at Harper's Ferry and took a number of local citizens as hostages but he and his surviving followers were finally forced to surrender. Arrested and tried for murder, insurrection and treason, he was convicted and sentenced to death. In the civil war that followed soon afterwards, Brown was hailed as a hero and martyr, and the song John Brown's Body of Uncertain Authorship became the anthem of soldiers fighting for the cause of universal freedom. He frightened old Virginia till she trembled through and through They hung him for a traitor, themselves the traitor crew His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah glory. Also on the 2nd of December in 1973 Yugoslav-born US tennis player Monica Sellers was born and in 1981, US pop singer and actress Brittany Spears was born. I'd like to take a moment to thank the actors for their voices for today's show. Albert Bainton was played by Nick Stott. Carrie Bainton by Becky Vickers. Nettie Kipp by Emma Cleave. John Custody by Henry Arnold and Sheriff Gerd by Molly Jeffries. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at BacktrackerUK with a capital B a capital T, and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening, and until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.